Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, everybody. Mike Lewis here today with the Fanalytics podcast. Joining me today is my communications specialist, producer, and sometimes co-host, Ada Chong. Hi. So one of the things you do is fan base analyses across professional and collegiate sports leagues. Today, you're going to talk about the 2018 NFL brand rankings. Tell us how these rankings work. You're right. So this has become an, an annual thing. Well, I think we're going back about five, six years at this point where we take a detailed and statistical look at, we go across all the teams in the NFL, or as you mentioned, sometimes we'll look at other leagues, and try and get a quantitative ranking of who the best fans are. Now, I use that word intentionally because I, you know as soon as we say something like the best fans you know we kind of go to this place of well what does that mean best fans so what sets our what sets my analysis apart and what differentiates it is that is a statistical and sort of theoretical theory based look at uh, at how fan bases compare across the NFL the big thing in terms of what's going on here is I'm using a ton of data. So in in the case of the NFL, we're using 20 years of data on all things that we can, you know, essentially pick up in terms of public databases where we have attendance in here, we've got prices, we've got uh, one-loss records, uh, we've got measures of historical success in terms of making the playoffs. Essentially everything that we can pick up, we build a statistical model of, how the league works and then we look at each individual team and see how they compare to how the the league works in general so it's data-based it's driven by statistical analyses it's guided by academic theories from the world of marketing all to come up to some bottom line assessment of well who's really got the most passionate or the most engaged fans and as we as we we can talk through this there's a bunch of different ways of approaching this different measures in terms of for the statistical geeks out there different dependent measures in terms of what we're looking at and whether it's social media based or uh, home box office revenue based so before we get into where teams stand on these rankings, how do some of the NFL controversies play into the rankings? Well, and, and thanks for bringing up that point, because I, th- I think it's an important one to get into, especially this year. So when I take a look at the data and see how teams are performing, essentially we're looking at, you know, how are fans behaving over the last couple, two, three years? And, and this, this makes sense. I mean, so it's a relatively long-term look, and we're multi-year data. But, you know, the NFL and, you know, maybe all sports are sort of in a kind of a, an interesting position as the culture and politics and, you know, some of these issues tend to merge. And so I think it's something important to note that, you know, there, there are these sort of larger societal factors that may be coming into play related to NFL fan bases that may not show up in the data, at least immediately. When, when you think about fan behavior or fan passion, this is something that develops over, you know, it, can, it may develop over decades. 
it may be multi-generational, right? A lot of kids grew up in households where they learned to root for a team based on, you know, who their, who their father or for their, their grandfather or, you know, their grandmother was rooting for. And so when something happens in the, in the short term, whether it's, you, you mentioned the various controversies, whether it's the concussion lawsuits, the domestic abuse scandals, or, you know, of course, the, the big one currently is, you know, the, the, the taking the knee or the national anthem protests. You know, the, these things are obviously really important to the world of fandom. But there's some things that, you know, maybe something that's going to play out over, let's say, a really long term rather than, uh, you know, just over the something that we can pick up in, you know, just a couple of years of data. If if the fans are, I, I don't know, you know, dis- disturbed by the concussions and youth participation in sports diminishes, maybe that's something that plays out over the, the course of 10 or 15 or 20 years. For the national anthem protest, you know, maybe this is something that has a long term long-term effects, but it's not something we're going to pick up when we're looking at just the last two, three years of data. So would these controversies affect all the teams in NFL or just certain ones? Well, that's that's an interesting point. And, and I think it goes to why we've got to sort of be careful about thinking about that and sort of, it's almost like I want to put an asterisk as saying, well, we don't know what the future is going to bring. You might think that the San Francisco 49ers might have been at the epicenter of the, the anthem protest, for example, and the, the Ravens had the most high pro- profile example of a domestic abuse incident. The impact can be, you know, it can vary across teams, but it's something that we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay. Well, tell us which teams top the list. So this year, and you know, as we've been doing these over the last few years, we've actually really started to see some consistency. And when I when I look at the top of the list, it, it's almost like I, I can almost imagine some listeners going, "Well, wait, if that's what you're going to come up with, why are you doing a statistical analysis?" Because at the top of the list, we have the Cowboys ranked number one, the Patriots ranked number two. So you know, it, it's one of those things where, hmm, what's the surprise? Well, and, and maybe the surprise comes in as we go down the list. And so in rounding out the top five, we have the Eagles, the Giants, and then the, and then the Steelers. And so that's, um, th- this is one of these interesting ones where, you know, I can imagine Western Pennsylvania being in an uproar. The idea of the Eagles actually performing better than the Steelers on, a, on an analysis of the fans. But this is where we get into some value of actually looking at data rather than just straight straight opinions. You know, the, the Eagles do remarkably well. They're able to charge premium prices to the fans. The fans show up. You know, I, I think if you just sort of said, hey, a barroom conversation, who has the best fans? Very quickly, you would get into a list of the Cowboys, the Steelers, and the, and the Packers. When we start to look at the data, we start to see some, some subtleties perhaps pop out. Looking at this list, four of the five teams are in the New England area. Is that coincidence? Well, so at the top of the list, so what do we have? The Patriots, the Eagles, and the the Giants. So three out of the three out of the top five are in the are, are located in the Northeast. I don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, you know, if we think about, let's say, the tradition of the NFL, and I think tradition is an important part of this. The Northeast has always been let's say the epicenter of the media world. So these are the teams that have probably been on TV more often than not. I mean, it, I, I guess, you know, the, the one tricky part about this is that the Cowboys actually play in the same division as the Eagles and the Giants. It's sort of a an accident of history. But, 
you know, if the media has always been focused on New York and sort of these kind of local teams in that region, then these are the teams that are going to be tend to be on TV more often. And you're going to get those kind of positive feedback effects of these are the teams that are always emphasized. So these are the teams that people are going to kind of fall in love with and develop passion for. The Cowboys and the Steelers and the Patriots especially, there's obviously something else going on in there related to this idea of being popular. You know, these are probably the three most successful teams in the history of the league. These are the teams that have, you know, multiple championships. And so you can start to see where fandom develops, right? A lot of exposure via TV in terms of the Northeast Corridor and a lot of success in terms of postseason accomplishments. And that's where that's where fandom is going to is going to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, tell me a little more about how you find these rankings. So you use fan, social, and road equity. Okay, so if, you, if you're looking at the uh, blog site that uh, accompanies uh, the podcast, and you can find that at scholarblogs.emory.edu backslash ESMA and influentialanalytics.com. You can find it in, in two places. We'll go into some more detail in terms of how we generate the rankings. So over time, as the analysis has evolved, I've focused on three different rankings that I then combined to get a global ranking. So you mentioned fan equity. So the idea of fan equity is something something that comes out of marketing academia. And the idea here is that we can measure a team's brand equity, so the power or the passion or the engagement with a brand, by looking at how that team does in terms of revenue compared to, well, well let's say you got two teams that are completely equivalent in terms of the same market size and in terms of the same one loss record, maybe one team does better in terms of revenue, okay? And so this idea of a revenue premium, and what's going to go into that is essentially it's going to capture fans' willingness to spend on different teams, right? Are they willing to buy tickets, and are they willing to buy tickets at a high price? The second measure, social equity, is something we've started to play with, I've started to play with over the last couple of years, it's, again, similar in spirit in that we're looking for teams that outperform the rest of the league. But now the dependent measure is their social media following. So do you have you know more fans than you might expect based on the market they're in and how successful the team is following them on social media? The last one, road equity, looks at how the team draws on the road. So when a team goes, you know, let's say the Steelers, for example, when the team leaves Pittsburgh, do fans tend to uh, you know, follow them and show up when they're playing in Atlanta or Indiana, Indianapolis or Carolina, wherever it might be? Okay, and these all have equal weight in determining the rankings, right? Yeah, and to, to be honest with you, that's like one of the ones that kind of uh, almost haunts me when I do this analysis. Is so, you know, I've got these three different measures, these three different rankings. You know, the fan equity one is great, right? Because this is a measure of, like I said, attendance spend. So this is the fans actually putting their money down and showing up. I love that metric from a marketing perspective, right? This is, and some fans might object to it, like, oh, well, you're just, you're just capturing the fact that, you know, some teams have fans that are, you know, they don't, they don't even care about how the team does. They're sort of, they don't really think about how they're spending money. But if you take a step back and go, well, how do we really get at what fans care about? Is it that they scream loud? 
Is it that they wear a t-shirt? The idea of being willing to pay and show up is, is absolutely huge. So I think that's a, that's a great measure in terms of fans being willing to put their dollars out there. The social media equity one has some advantages in that, you know, we're no longer constrained by things like stadium size. If you live in Atlanta, we, we both live in Atlanta, it's hard to make it to a Steelers or a Giants game. But we can follow those teams on social media. So we can get some measure of kind of national following. We can also pick up on the fact that now we get a measure of fan interest that isn't dictated by, let's say, having a fat wallet. You know, and the NFL tickets are very expensive. Following on social media is free. So the social media equity adds something to this in terms of it's, it's, it's unconstrained by stadium size and it's unconstrained by people having, you know, we can get this measure of fandom that isn't constrained by having to spend money. The last one, road equity, picks up on perhaps a team's national following. So we've got attend and spend, a measure of that. We've got something unconstrained because social is free and it's worldwide. And then we've got this measure of national following in terms of people showing up to see visiting teams. How those should be combined is a, it's one of those nuts that I haven't cracked, Ada. So it's, um, you know, the, the arbitrary thing to do is to kind of, they're all picking up on different things. So let's just average them out. Okay. Well, let's talk about the teams that are on the bottom of the list. Oh, and this is always the, um, the, the you know, every year when we publish these, a lot of times the, the teams at the top go, yep, we know we belong there. And they sort of just kind of nod and move on. The teams at the bottom of the list, this is very often where we see a lot of a lot of passion. And by passion, I mean a lot of anger. And so this year, the teams we have in the bottom five are the Browns, the Jaguars, the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Titans. This is an interesting group in a lot of ways. You know, the Browns and the Jaguars, you know, I, I think if we just ask people intuitively, those would be a couple of teams that would be there really often. But, you know, even there, we'll get some objections from their, from the fans. Browns fans, they, they've got decent attendance, even though they've got a mass, you know, a, a history that has been tremendously frustrating to those fans. If we look at, let's say, the fan equity, the revenue premium measure of this, though, you can see where the, the Browns may not do that well. So they tend to show up, but they have very little pricing power in Cleveland. They're not able to actually charge high prices for tickets. Uh, the Jaguars, you know, located in Jacksonville, you know, they're, they're a relatively new franchise. And I, I say relatively. I mean, the, the Jaguars have been around for decades now. But, you know, some of these other teams have been around for decades and decades and decades which is kind of an interesting point in terms of sports brands of just how long it takes to really build up a premium fan base. This is not something that you can accomplish as a brand manager or as a team owner. You can't build a um, kind of a hardcore fan base in the near term. You know, this is something that just takes time. The Chiefs are another one where I will get a ton of objections. The Chiefs fans have set records in terms of being the loudest fans. But again, you know, th this is the difference between kind of, let's say, a single data point versus a thorough statistical analysis. So yeah, the Chiefs fans at Arrowhead, they make a lot of noise. They set records. It's like one of the things that the fans are into. But you start bringing in more data into this and you look at, uh, again, attendance and spending and social media and whether or not people show up on the road to see the Chiefs. 
And this is where you really start to see some weakness in those in, in that brand. I feel like a contradiction. If their fans are willing to spend and they're super loud, why is it that they're not supportive on the road or on social media? You know, one of the, one of the things when we do this kind of analysis with the NFL is that, especially you know up until recently, the NFL has been very much the gold standard in terms of fans, incredible passion throughout the entire league. Now, that might be weakening some or softening some with some of these the developments over the last few years, whether it's the controversies or sort of the oversaturation or people just abandoning cable TV. It could be a lot of things, but these are these are relative comparisons. And so are Browns fans or Chiefs fans, you know, really passionate fans? Absolutely. What we're trying to answer here is how do they compare to the rest of the league? That makes sense. How is this fandom created? That's like the million dollar question in all this. I have a, I have opinions and we've kind of alluded to some of that. I think across all sports, well, I think across sports, it's almost always some measure of success. Well, well you should say it's just some measure of history. It's a history of being in a town for a long time. It's also a history of being successful in that town for a long time. You know, we could also sort of, you know, and this is a little bit beyond the podcast, doing some deeper dives, looking at the composition of a city that a team plays in. The ideal situation, frankly, is a big city without a lot of transplants and the teams having a lot of success. You know, when I look at this list, and again, this is where we kind of started the, the podcast, you know, looking at that top five, we've got the Cowboys, the Patriots and the Steelers. These are the teams that have won a lot of Super Bowls. You know, if I work down that list, we've got the Packers also in the top 10, a lot of history of success. If we go to the bottom of the list, and we've got the, the Browns, the Chargers, the Jaguars, the Titans, you know, the history of success that these teams have really pales in comparison. The Browns, you know, the Browns disappeared for a while, okay? You know, they, they moved to, the franchise moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. So there's been some disruption. They've had a lot of struggles in terms of, let's say, drafting quarterbacks that haven't worked out. Good luck, Baker May, Mayfield. They've struggled in terms of actually being local and in terms of being on the field. The Jaguars, a, like I said, a relatively new franchise. The Titans at the bottom of the list, again, a relatively new franchise, both without histories of, Super Bowl or sort of prolonged success. The Rams, a franchise that has moved to St. Louis, now back to, to back to LA with intermediate uh, sort of, you know, a success that has popped up time, you know, once in a while, but not in a consistent way. It, it's like almost like it is in almost any product category where the key to success is long-term consistency and long-term um, excellence. Yeah, it looks like the Falcons are on the middle of the road. And as someone sitting in Atlanta, that really makes me happy at this point. <laughs> Take what you can get. <laughs> well, you know, so Atlanta is an interesting sports city. And we, we've talked about this in a, another episode of, of the podcast. Atlanta is a city that has grown dramatically. Um, one of the things that's different about Atlanta is, you know, a lot of people from Atlanta, well, a lot of people that live in Atlanta are not from Atlanta. So Atlanta has some real challenges as a as a place with a lot of transplants and you know one of the things we one of the things we definitely know in this world of sports fandom is that people tend to really love the teams that they grew up with. So if I grew up in Chicago, 
I'm going to be a Bears fan. If you grew up in Dallas, you're going to be a Cowboys fan. If our jobs take us to Atlanta, then what is possible for the Falcons? You know, maybe this can be our second team or our, and what does that actually mean to be our second team, right? That we'll casually watch them on TV. We might go to a game, a game or two a year, but it's very difficult to sort of reach that kind of elite level of fandom and passion and kind of craziness. And let's say fanaticism, that some of the teams at the top of the list are going to get. Yeah, because everyone already has their allegiance with their hometown team since there's so many transplants here, like you said. Now, I'll, I'll add to that. You know, I think the Falcons are definitely on the upswing, you know, with a new stadium and some really interesting fan-oriented promotions such as the the lower-priced concessions, uh, some history on the on field the last couple of years. You know, the, the future looks bright for the, the Falcons. Time will tell how this will play out over the course of the, the next few years. You know, if the on-field performance tends to drop off again, it'll be interesting to see what the fans do. But, you know, a gleaming new stadium, some recent success on the field, doing some smart things in terms of low price concessions for the fans. The Falcons are, you know, over the last couple of years, are probably on the right track to have built some new brand equity. So, you know, really kind of strengthened it. We'll see if this is kind of a temporary blip or for real. You know, when I look at the, and this is one of the things where we could, we can even like, let's say, let's look at the actual data here. You know, if you look at the rankings across these different metrics, you know, the, the Falcons do actually a little bit on the downside in terms of fan equity. So this attendance spend. When you think about, let's say, the Atlanta market versus the Boston market, these tend to be similar market sizes. Now, I think almost universal people would say, oh, you know, there's a lot more passion for sports in Boston, the Boston area, than in the Atlanta area. And I think that's, you know, so that's why in, you know, this fan equity measure, the Patriots rank third and the Falcons actually rank 23rd. That the fans in Boston are much more willing to attend and spend. Now, the thing that has really moved the Falcons up the last couple of years is if you look at the social media aspect of it, is that they're actually in the top 10. And I think, you know, so what happens when a team is winning and a team has a lot of good publicity? Well, it's very easy to start following the the team on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. I think, you know, one of the other nice things about social equity that I didn't mention is this is very much probably going to be a leading indicator of good fortunes for the team, right? So this is where the casual fans are going to almost make their first step into fandom. Ideally, this will then sort of translate into longer-term fandom and people being willing to spend on the team and go to the games. Like I said, so, you know, this week we're talking about the NFL, looking at the NFL fan bases, do a lot of similar work. I uh, have looked at uh, Major League Baseball in terms of similar analyses. Uh, the NBA uh, a few years ago did some work on, on the college space. And so, you know, this is one of my favorite analyses to do because it is a kind of a hardcore statistical look at marketing in the world of sports, something that I really just live for. So everyone, thanks for listening. You can learn more and you can see some of these other rankings on, well, in, in two places. So on my academic site, scholarblogs.emory.edu backslash ESMA, and also on the influentialanalytics.com. Also encourage you guys, if you're new, to take a look at some of the other podcasts we've got, uh, we've got listed here on SoundCloud, or uh, you can get it on iTunes as well. Thanks very much.